Before we get started this morning, I want to make an announcement. Carter Spence and Kristen were safely married yesterday. Yay! Some of our number, deciding that 11.30 was too late to drive back, have stayed in Auburn overnight and hopefully are watching us now or attending some church somewhere and worshiping with the body. This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. We'll be reading something of a sad story this morning, talking about the death of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Sarah is one of the heroes of the faith, and she is an example to us all of what faith in God looks like, of hope in His promises. And she gives us a wonderful example of what it means to live a life of faith. We have seen Sarah fail. That's a fact. We saw her fail when she offered Hagar to Abraham. We saw her fail in her mistreatment of Hagar after she bore Ishmael. The reason she failed is because Sarah is a normal human being like every single one of us in the sense that she also sins. Her faith was not perfect, but it was exceptional. And because of it, Sarah herself has become the mother of kings and queens. She has become the mother of nations, and her son, through him, all nations have been blessed. She is truly Abraham's partner. So why do we spend time this morning on something as sad as the death of Sarah? What could the occasion of her death teach us about our lives today and how we ought to live them here in 2018? I believe it's because something about her death teaches us what it means to live the life of a saint. So let's look at Genesis chapter 23 and consider not only the death, but also the life of Sarah and the legacy which she leaves to this day. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sights, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave at Machpelah, which he owns, is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. 
Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Mechpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area were made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Mechpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Let's talk about Sarah and what we know about Sarah. It is unfortunate if you're reading Genesis that we or you should regulate Sarah to sort of the sidekick of Abraham. That is not who she was. She was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, his partner in everything that happened. And if Abraham were to have married Sarah, even when she was 25 years old, they celebrate 102 years of anniversaries together. Now, I don't think anybody in here is going to reach 102 anniversaries. We will pray that the Lord make it so, but I don't think that it's going to happen. 102 years she was faithful to Abraham and remained the wife of his youth. We know that Sarah hoped in God. Peter says as uh, Brother Matt read this morning, So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are now her children if you do right and let nothing terrify you. She's held up as an example of faith. Sarah was a person who hoped in God, and this is how she was able to get up and follow her husband Abraham into a land she had never seen to inherit a promise that never materialized before her eyes except for the birth of her son, Isaac. So let's talk a minute about the faith of, Abraham, of Sarah. Maybe think about it in a way you haven't thought of it before in contrast to the faith and the privilege that Abraham had. What do I mean by that? We think a lot about the faith of Abraham, but have you ever thought much about the faith of his wife, Sarah? The hope that she placed in the God of Abraham helped her place her trust in the servant of God who was Abraham himself. And she did not have the best husband. Listen to this. She called him Lord, which I'm not saying that you have to do, ladies, but she called him Lord, followed him out of the land. She had no idea where she was going. She was leaving all the family, everything that she had never known. And listen, God never spoke to Sarah. Abraham had the privilege of visions with the Lord, one-on-one talks with the Lord. Sarah never got any of these. She walked by faith only. And when I said that she didn't have the greatest husband, not many people in here have a husband who would give them away to another man to be his wife, not once, but twice. Abraham proved that often he was not an attentive husband when he took Hagar, his handmaiden, to be his concubine and then had a baby and was completely ignorant of how this affected his wife Sarah and he dealt with it passively and caused strife in his home. He was not the perfect man. He was... It turns out, like us. Sarah's faith was different than Abraham's, not that it was weaker. She did not have some of the privileges to talk to God as Abraham did. She had to take him at his word and understand that God is 
who he says he is. Think about this to contrast the faith of Abraham and Sarah. You remember when Jesus was crucified and Thomas comes along? The disciples are saying, hey, hey, we've seen Jesus. What did Thomas say? I don't believe you. Unless I can take my finger and put it in his side, I will not believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And Jesus, of course, shows up in the room and he says, hey, Thomas, come here. Take your finger and put it in my side. Stop being unbelieving and believe. And what did Thomas say? He said, my Lord and my God. And then what did Jesus say? Blessed are you because you have seen and believed Thomas. But more blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Abraham saw God. He saw him in a vision of a smoking fire pot, remember, and a flaming torch who went between the cut parts of the, the cow that they had sacrificed there. The Lord called out to Abraham, Abraham, hear my Lord. Go up on the Mount Moriah and sacrifice Isaac, your only son. Sarah was not privy to that conversation. What do you think she thought when Abraham said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I've got to take Isaac up to this mountain. Or when he got back, Isaac, of course, being about a teenager, came back and said, Mama, you ain't going to believe what Daddy did to me while we were gone to do sacrifice. She did not hear any of those things. She was not there when the Lord came to Abraham and said, Abraham, get your family, get Sarah, get everybody, get your stuff, get out of the land of promise. Sarah was not there in her barrenness. Listen, who do you think suffered more when she was barren? Abraham or Sarah? The answer is Sarah. But Sarah wasn't there when God came to Abraham and said, I will surely give you a child through Sarah, and through him all nations will be blessed. Her name won't be Sarah anymore. It will be Sarah. She will be called princess because she will be the mother of kings and queens, and the nations will be blessed through her. She was not there. She, like us, had to walk by faith and not by sight. And she followed her husband, her not always the greatest husband, across the known world for them. And here in this passage, is, you see Abraham haggling for this purchase of place to bury his wife. We often say that, look, this is the only place in all of the promised land that Abraham ever owned when he died. The entire land was promised to him. It's the only piece that he owned when he died. How much did he own when Sarah died? None. She never saw it. She never saw the promise come to pass. Not one square inch. She died in faith. And that's how we can learn from the example of the life and the death of Sarah. Our dreams here do not always come to pass. Our hopes and the promises given to us not only do not always come to pass, but we are not looking for the reward here. Let's look at the purchase of the tomb. Abraham, after Sarah dies, he goes in and he weeps. This was his half-sister. He'd been married to her for at least a hundred years. He had probably known her all of his life. All of her life, at least. 127 years. He's about 10 years or so older than Sarah. This must have been devastating for him. And so he goes out to the Hittites and begins to haggle for a place to bury his wife. 
And what I want you to notice there is that he refuses to take it as a gift. There's no reason. There's all sorts of speculation about whether this was a haggling deal or what. I don't think, there's no reason for us to believe that the Hittites were being disingenuous with Abraham. I really think when they said, we believe that you are a prince of God among us, I think that they held Abraham in high esteem. And any one of those men there were willing to allow him to bury his dead in their tomb. But Abraham wanted a tomb and a place of his own. Remember when the king of Sodom came down and said, take the stuff, just give me back the people. And Abraham said, I'm not taking a sandal strap from you lest you say, I have made Abraham rich. Abraham was not in the business of taking gifts from others. David would do the same thing. Once during his reign, the angel of death had come and was striking down the people and he saw the angel's arm or sword extended and the people were dying of the plague. And where God relented of the plague that was killing the people, David went there and bought that place in order to build the temple. You remember that story? And the guy said, Lord, this is my vineyard, King David, but hey, if you want it for the building of the temple, it's yours. David said, far be it from me that I should not pay for something that I was going to give to the Lord. And so he paid for it. And that's exactly what Abraham's doing right here. He's buying this land because he's saying, I'm not getting this because of the kindness of others. I'm getting it because of a promise of God. Jeremiah does something very similar. Jeremiah knows that the children of Israel are about to go into exile. They're fixing to lose everything. And he's sitting at his house knowing that the world, the, well, the world, the place of Israel is about to become desolate. Nobody's going to live there. They're going into captivity. The ones who don't get killed by the sword are going into captivity. The ones who aren't killed or are caught captive are going to die of plague. God does something very unusual to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, army's at the gate and doom is at hand. Take some shekels and buy a piece of land. <laughs> okay. Why am I doing that? Because I'm going to bring you back. And it's going to belong to your posterity. You won't come back, but your posterity will. Abraham is making a down payment on a promise that he knows he will not see the fruition of. Just like his wife Sarah, he knew that he would never live to see the promises of God fulfilled, but he believed them nonetheless. He would not allow anyone to say he gained anything except that it was given to him by God. And this is the only piece of property that he ever owned in the promised land. He buried his people there in the hopes that one day they would see the fulfillment of the promise. Because Abraham, like a good Christian, believed that being buried in a tomb was not the end. That one day he would live to see with his own eyes his children inherit the land. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this about Abraham and Sarah. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. That's the faith of Sarah. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, 
were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, and I like this word, and greeted them from afar. Well, how do you do? (laughs) Greeted their promises. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. When Abraham heard the promises of God that all of this land will be yours, that was a small promise. That was not all he believed God for. You say, why would that be a small promise? (laughs) It's a small promise because Abraham thought and believed, this is not all I'm promised. I'm not just promised a little sliver of land here on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea that me and my descendants are going to enjoy. I have been promised that through me and my wife is going to come a son who will crush the head of Satan. And by crushing the head of Satan, my son, my wife's son, Sarah, the child of promise, is going to rise up and through him every nation on earth will be blessed. This is the promise that his children look for. Jacob, when he's dying, will worship on his staff and he will bless Judah and say, through you will come the one to whom the scepter belongs and to him will be the obedience of all nations. Abraham didn't believe, listen to me, he didn't believe he was just getting Palestine. He thought he was getting it all and he was right. He was not just looking for a city in this world. He was looking for a city, according to Hebrews, that was not built by the hands of men, but sculpted by the hands of God. And that is also the faith his wife shared. How can this help us? We need help. (laughs) How can this help us? Well, we're just like Sarah and Abraham. You look at their faith and you look at their endurance in the end and you hear their testimony. Don't you want that to be you? Don't you want it to be said of you when you die? that you looked for a city whose builder and maker was not human beings, but a city made by God. And sometimes maybe you think of Abraham and Sarah's faith, and because they ran their race well, you think of them as some sort of heroes on a pedestal. But Genesis has done everything in its power to show you there are no pedestals here. They got in big fights, just like you do with your wife and your husband. Big fights. I can't imagine how big a fight is when you give your wife away and she comes back home. That's a big deal. That's tough. Uh, Things would have been rather uncomfortable at my house for at least a day or two after that. And then when it happens the second time, I'm not sure what you even say. What do you do when your wife comes in and she's given to you a concubine and she's mad at you for taking her? (laughs) I, I can't even fathom these categories. If someone came into me for counseling over these things, I would not even know what to say. This is not an easy trip they've had together. It was, have you been on a road trip with your wife and possibly kids, even four hours away? 
Can you imagine doing that in a wagon and going several weeks away? Telling your wife, hey, God told me. Hey, God told me. We're going to have a baby. And through that baby, the whole world is going to be blessed. And, and she laughed and said, I'm 75 years old. I can't wait for that to happen. It's going to be wonderful. And then it rocked around. And she's 90. And what, like every year, how often do you think that this comes up as conversation? They did not have it easy. But they stuck it out. That's what you're going to have to do. You got to stick it out. You have to learn how to forgive. Oh, man. It is much easier said than done. One of the beautiful things about God, I, I love this, you should think about this often, is that He forgives. That's the beautiful thing. But He also forgets. And that's a great paradox. Because He can't forget, He knows everything. <laughs> but He promised He would. Cast into the sea of forgetfulness your sins remembered no more. How's he do it? I don't know, but he does. And that's what we're called to do if we want to be his children. Abraham and Sarah, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that the promise that Abraham and Sarah looked forward to was not just here. They looked forward to a place where all things were made new and right. They looked forward to a place where you and I would be. We're part of their promise after all. They were looking to a city whose kingdom and God would fill the entire earth. And if Abraham is the father of our faith, then Sarah is our mother. And one day, we're going to dine with both. One day, brothers, sisters, we're not going to just feast with Father Abraham. We're going to feast with Mama Sarah. Mama Sarah, Father Abraham. And we're going to be their children and they're going to understand what we went through to get there. <laughs> Their journey will be like ours. Our journey will be like theirs. If, Peter says, here's the big if. So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, listen, and now you are her children. If you do what is right, and let nothing terrify you. Why do you think he added that second part and said, and let nothing terrify you? Because they lived in scary times. And she had to trust a man who had often proved to be unfaithful. And yet, she persevered. And so did he. And this is what our Lord is calling for us to do. Abraham wept at the death of his wife, Sarah, and went out and bought for her a field. And one thing I do know about buying things in the Middle East today and then is you never pay asking price. <laughs> Any of you who have been on a mission trip overseas knows that you don't pay. You do not pay asking price. Abraham did. I bet if this guy had said it's a thousand shekels, he'd have said, here you go. I'm not here to bargain. I'm here to buy. And I'm going to put my wife in this tomb. And when I die, they're going to put me in this tomb. When my son Isaac dies, 
They're going to put him in that tomb. And then they're going to put Jacob in there. But one day, me, Sarah, and Eliza, and Jacob, we're going to walk out of this tomb. And every bit that you see will belong to me and my children forever. That's the faith we're called to. So hold on. Hang in there. You're not going to have to hold on as long as they did. She had to hold on for 127. We'll be lucky if we get 85. But when you look back over your life, and you're drawing your last breath, you're gathered to your people, as the word of the Lord says, I pray that your last thought is that you have run the race, you have fought the good fight, and you've kept the faith. Then you'll be children of Abraham and Sarah. And when you go to sit at their table, you'll be welcome. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us. Help us this morning to be children of Abraham and Sarah. Help us to be children of their great son, Jesus, who himself persevered through many things that he might make us a people. Father, this morning I know that all of us struggle with sin. All of us struggle with sorrow. All of us struggle with doubt. I pray that you will help us through these great examples we are given to hold on because we believe that the city which is prepared by the hands of God is worth persevering for. And for those of us today, some here who may not know Jesus at all, who have no hope in that celestial city, I pray that today, through the power of the gospel, they will feel the conviction 